created live on Fireside. All right, Jason, I'm inviting you to video. Welcome everyone to another YNS Live, your next stop. If you haven't noticed, my live shows are now your next stop, which is really fun. My YNS Live or the NFL series and turning my video on. And I know we have people that are joining shortly. Hey, Jason, how are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm good. And we are streaming right now to Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitch. Hey, everyone on LinkedIn. We got a ton of people over there, um, which is really fun. This is why I love Fireside, because if people are not joining in the room, there actually are people there. You can't see them. And they're all actually (laughs) sending me messages on LinkedIn right now, which is really fun. That's great. I love that. Yes, which is, uh, this is why I love this, um, this platform. Cause it really makes it easy yeah. for people to kind of click in if they're not, you know, a part of, uh, a fireside. So I want to get right let, into this. Let me ask you a question. Does this language yes. look backwards or forwards to you? It looks forward. It looks forward. Oh, that's interesting. That's cool. So it shows yeah. me backwards. It shows you forward. Great. Love it. Yeah. It says build as Yeah. 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 That's, that's one of the things. Hey everyone, Daniel and Dan yell. Um, this is Jason Pfeiffer. He is the chief Editor-in-Chief at Entrepreneur Magazine, book Build to Tomorrow, podcast Build to, uh, for Tomorrow. And the thing that's exciting is, uh, Jason, we met way back when on Clubhouse, like long, long oh, yes. time ago. And it was right uh, when you rebranded. I was actually going through a rebranding, which was really fun. But I want to get into it because I know you don't have a lot of time. <laughs> and so I <laughs> so appreciate, you know, everyone here, uh, your next stop appreciates you uh, joining in and um, coming and talk to us. So one of the things that, that I love about what you do is, um, especially even with the magazine and the book and the podcast, it's about stories. I'm all about stories. Yeah. I think that's how people connect is through storytelling. I think that's how we all actually, um, you, you like someone a little bit more or you don't like someone more, or you get a little bit more curious about what people are doing. And I love that with your book and really your podcast, you combine, you combined really stories and exercises to help people build for tomorrow to kind of get, if they're in a stuck spot or in a, you know, in uh, some transition, you really help them make it faster. So I would love for you to kind of dive in and talk about what you're doing. And then I want to get kind of into the details of, you know, why you created the book and everything. So um, oh, sure. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, I really appreciate that. I So, um, hi, everybody. Right, The book that, that um, Juliet is referencing is right here. It's called Build for Tomorrow. It is a, a book about how to be more adaptable in your career, how to, how, if, if you are facing any kind of change in your life or your career right now, this book was designed to help you get through that and find new opportunity. You know, you had asked how I'm how I'm doing that. I feel like there are probably a million directions that I could go, but um, but I'll I'll tell you something that I think about a lot uh, when I'm when I'm writing uh, when I'm producing anything and utilizing story is that I always think about um, use a little quick writing tip for 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 those. I think about writing as bricks and mortar. It's the way I think mm-hmm. about it. And this is what that means. So the, it's a kind of metaphor that I used um, to, to construct any kind of story in the way in which I'm presenting information is that I think of things as bricks and mortar. So brick is, is, a, is, is a fact. 
Um, so if I'm interviewing Jimmy Fallon for Entrepreneur Magazine, for example, then uh, then when I'm writing the story, anything that is about Jimmy, something that Jimmy told me, something that's happening in Jimmy's life, like that's a that's a brick, right? And then the mortar is what I'm laying between the bricks that I have control over, and what I'm using the mortar for is to kind of construct a narrative and make sure that every brick is going to feel like it's building towards something that's relevant for the reader. Because my way of thinking is that nobody cares about anything that I'm writing about. What they care about is themselves. And they should. That's what you should care about. So if I'm writing about Jimmy Fallon, you don't care about Jimmy Fallon, but you do care about what you can learn from Jimmy Fallon that you can use yourself. Similarly, if you're reading this book and I go into a story about the history of the automobile, which I do, you're, you know, you're reading that and you're thinking, how is this relevant to me? I don't care about the history of automobiles, but I do care about how this is going to be a lesson for me. So I have to make sure that constantly I'm making sure that I'm turning back to the reader and I'm saying, here's how this thing is contributing to this larger idea. That is what I do throughout every single thing that I do. So whether it's building a pod, a podcast or, or the book or a magazine article, you can see that what I'm doing is every couple paragraphs, I'm stopping and I'm basically turning to the reader, not in an overt way in which it seems too obvious or repetitive, but rather just making sure that I'm constantly, constantly signaling relevance and making sure that I'm translating anything that's happening back to a takeaway or value for the reader. That way, I'm communicating in stories, which is what people are going to remember, but I'm doing it in a way in which it's always going to be meaningful because that's ultimately the reason they're going to come back. I love that. I love that so much. And so I'm also very curious of, is that something that you learned to do or do you think you were kind of just built that way? Oh, no, it's something I learned to do. Um, but, you know, the, the funny thing, uh, the funny thing about learning is that you often learn a skill and you discover a better application for the skill later. So that's a skill that I learned in one way or another at Men's Health. So I, I, I was an editor at Men's Health. Many, I got there in 2008 and I was there till 2010 or 11 or something. And I got to say, I, I hated that style of writing when I was at Men's Health because Men's Health was teaching me how to be what's called service journalism. So that would mean that I would find a study and then I would tell you how it's relevant to you. And then I would find a, you know, whatever, a tip that I'd pull out of something. And I found it to be kind of grating and boring. But, you know, what I really, now that I look back on it, I realize is that I just wasn't connecting with the material. But right. as I as I was doing that and not connecting with the material, I was absorbing a skill set about how to take information and turn towards the reader and be relevant with them. So then later on, when I got to entrepreneur and I really connected with this audience and I was excited to, to share the things that I was learning from great entrepreneurs with an audience, I started to figure out how to marry this old skill set that I had that I didn't really like with this new mission that I did like. And then I came up with my own version of it so that I could wrap my head around it, which was the bricks and mortar thing. But I think, you know, we're always constantly being exposed to new skills and new ideas, and they may not feel useful or satisfying in the moment, but if we can kind of hold on to them and see what their purpose is, we might find it years later that it's actually the greatest thing we've ever learned. And I, that, I, I mean, I talk about that on the podcast all the time because people will say, well, I think I went down the wrong path. And I'm like, no, 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 yeah. no. you never go. In, in my personal opinion, you never really go down the wrong path because you learn things in each part of your life. You know, you really, really right. do. And if you can then take those things and build on them, 
right? And then that's when you kind of can be more successful if you think, okay, well, what did I learn in this situation? What did I learn in this situation? How can I make them come together to really become what what I'm meant to? So can you take us back a little bit about when you started the podcast and what what was the reason behind that? Oh, sure. So I started this podcast that was called, it it wasn't called Build for Tomorrow at the time. It was called something else. Uh, It was called Pessimist Archive. And um, uh, for reasons I could explain if you care. But I, you know, I really started it because I have this belief. And the belief is what I call work your next job. So you can find this. I'll just use this as an opportunity to hold the book up again. So you can find this in this book, which is called Build for Tomorrow. And um, and my idea is this. Look, I, I say that in front of you right now, in front of me, in front of everybody who's watching on all the different platforms that you just listed, uh, there are two sets of opportunities. There's opportunity set A and there's opportunity set B. Opportunity set A is everything that's asked of you. So you go to work, you have a boss, that boss demands things of you, you're going to be evaluated by those things. That's opportunity set A. Opportunity set B is everything that's available to you that nobody's asking you to do. So that could be at work where you take on a new responsibility, you join a new team. It could also be outside of work where, for example, you like listening to podcasts and you decide to start a podcast, which is exactly what I did. Now, the reason I did that and the reason I go through this whole spiel right now is to say that I think opportunity set B, which is to say the stuff that nobody's asking you to do, but that is simply available to you, that is always more important, infinitely more important, because if you only focus on opportunity set A, you're only qualified to do the things you're already doing. But if you go to opportunity set B, that's where growth happens. And it's going to happen in an unpredictable way. So you're going to learn some new skill or develop some some new idea. And it's not going to seem useful or it's not going to pay off immediately, but it can years down the line. So I started this podcast in 2016, honestly, because I love listening to podcasts and I wanted to understand it better. I wanted to understand the storytelling about it. I want to understand how to record on a microphone. I didn't know what the point of it was. I didn't know what I was going to get out of it. But what I found was that after building a show and sticking with it for years, I developed a significant audience. Um, Frankly, it doesn't make me that much money. I mean, sort of a meaningless amount of money, to be honest with you. But what it does do is it's an opportunity magnet. Uh, right, it, being, it brings people to me. People find it and they come to me, and then I can build partnerships or relationships. And then number two, it's an it's an IP factory. It forces me to talk to interesting people about interesting things, to develop really interesting insights, and then I use those in all sorts of ways, like the like this book, which came out of the podcast, but also speaking and so much more. So uh, that's why I think it's really important to pursue those opportunity set Bs. That's why I did the podcast. Right. And I love that. And I think it was um, really fun because that's when we first met. I was in a rebranding phase with my podcast mm-hmm. and you, I believe you had just rebranded. And I remember listening to your podcast and really enjoying how you, I mean, tell the story, but then also bring, you know, history back into things. And it's a re- it's really a really yeah. great podcast because you really give a lot Thank of information, you. but very entertaining. It's all, it's for anyone who's interested, it's all same, same, same title as the book, Build for Tomorrow, yes. the podcast. Yeah. And you, you can find, if you see this, this will all also be in all the show notes, but you can see the little scroll here. You can find Jason on his website yeah. or on um, Instagram and you can find and get that stuff. But I loved when you originally, and if you can tell that in a short way, cause I did find that really, and that's what connected me to you really. I was like, wait, I want to yeah. know more about this guy. Cause I loved that story about okay. the original name of the podcast. And then when you were asking your friends and your friends were like, you yeah, know, I'm not going to, I'm not listening. Cause that, that seems like it's a negative thing. So if you can share that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, sure. So the original name of the show was called Pessimists Archive. Now, I didn't come up with that name myself. That was a, there was a popular Twitter feed, still is a popular Twitter feed called Pessimists Archive. 
And, um, and I had partnered with the guy who made that and we made a podcast extension of it. So I ran the podcast and he ran the Twitter feed. And the idea was to understand pessimists of the past, an archive of pessimists to see what people, why did people say that the bicycle was a terrible thing? Why did people say that the novel was going to, was going to uh, damage minds? Why did people have a, there was a national moral crisis over the teddy bear in 1907. Why was that? Big, fun questions. And, um, but what I found a number of years in is, is I, I hired a consultancy uh, called Pen Name Consulting to help me grow the show. And the audience insight researcher at the time, his name is Rochelle DeVoe, had done some, she, she went in, dug in, kind of contacted my audience, did a lot of interviews with them, tried to understand what it is that they like about the show, what don't they like about the show, et cetera, et cetera. And then came back to me with some incredible insights that I didn't have, because I will tell you, no matter how much you think you know your audience or your customer, you don't. And it is incredibly valuable for you to make sure that you understand that, because that's where you're going to unlock lots of growth by really understanding them and then and then reacting to and taking seriously and making some really hard decisions. So in my case, Rochelle came back to me with a couple valuable, like incredibly valuable pieces of information. Number one, she said that um, the name of the show was a massive turnoff to people, that pe because it had the word pessimist in it, people didn't understand the idea of an archive of pessimists. They just saw pessimists and they're like, well, I'm an optimist. I don't think that this show is for me. And even if they got over that hump, because it's very, it is a very optimistic show, even if you got over that hump, and the reason it's an optimistic show, I should say, is because generally we're like, I'm trying to understand what, what people got wrong in the past or what do we misunderstand about right now? And then how can we use that to have a smarter solution to our most misunderstood problems? So it is, it's an old, it's a forward thinking show. People were seeing it as pessimistic. If they got over it, they were having problems convincing friends to listen to the show because the friends would say, ah, pessimist. So that was problem number one. Problem number two was that they were, um, people said, or it's not actually not a problem necessarily, but people said to Rochelle, the number one reason why they listen is because the show helps them feel more resilient about the future. And that was interesting because I thought at the time I was making a kind of esoteric history podcast. But what I learned was that people were actually engaging with it and using it in their own way for their own, you know, sense of self and, 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 uh, and, you know, what they wanted to achieve. And that gave me this incredible insight because I thought, well, if that's something that they're getting as a byproduct of the show, what would happen if I really lean into that and, and make sure that I'm being as relevant as possible to the things that people are feeling right now? So that gave me the, the it gave me the freedom to shift the nature of the show a bit, can keep some of the history and the quirkiness of the old version of the show, but then transform it. And what I found as a result was it did turn off, that change did turn off some of the old fans, but it, 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 un it unlocked access to a lot more new fans. And, you know, sometimes you have to sacrifice the relationship you have with some of your early uh, uh, consumers for what, you know, Reed Hoffman would call your scale consumer. Make sure that you, you know, you're really making sure that you're reaching the kind of people that can scale rather than this tiny little niche that just happens to like you for what you used to do. So it was a, it was a challenging decision, but one that ultimately really worked out. And, and I can't say enough about audience insights research. Which is awesome. And I think that was one of the reasons why I actually rebranded as well, because of the insight that you gave on, on when it was when, you know, Clubhouse was uh, big and that's where we were. So um, yeah. I think that's so interesting. And I think it's really, it, it's an important thing for people to hear. There's a lot of podcasters in the audience right now. Hey, everyone, I see people come forming in here. Um, 
it is an important thing to think about because you're right. We, we kind of assume this is what my audience looks like and we get a little bit of data into the podcast world, but not really in-depth no, uh, data. So when you were, you know, when the, when the podcast changed and you started building it a little bit more, was there always an idea for a book or was it something that you always wanted to do? Or, you know, can you tell us a little bit about how, and I know you touched on that, but like really what was like, yep, now I'm, now my next step is, is kind of doing a book. You know, it's funny. I, so I've been involved in the kind of building the personal brand, you know, trying to understand mm-hmm. how I can level up in terms of kind of all the things that you can, you can, you can build out of a personal brand, right? Like speaking and uh, sort of media opportunities. And uh, as I talked to smart people over the years, everyone always told me the first step is a book. Like you, you just have to do a book. And so that had been on my roadmap, but honestly, I had always been afraid of the commitment because it's a, it's a, just a lot of work. And I also wasn't entirely sure what my book was. I, I had centered around this idea of understanding change, but my podcast also delved deep into history and I wasn't sure how to marry all that together. And, uh, and again, like I said, I just kind of kept pushing it off because I'm so busy and I did, when am I going to have time to do this? And then, you know what it was? It was, um, it was the pandemic, the pandemic. Uh, everybody started going through the same exact change. Uh, everybody had no idea what to do. And my agent called me up in April of 2020. And he said, you know, we've been talking for a long time about doing a book about change. Now is the time. And he was right. You know, like you cannot, you cannot create a better opportunity than that. I mean, not to say the pandemic was an opportunity, but for, you know, many people in many ways yes. it was. And, um, and so I, I really started to buckle down and think about what this project was and what did I have to say that was unique to it. Um, you know, I really believe that if you want to participate in the ecosystem of ideas, then what you need is what I like to call ownable IP, which is to say that you need, even if you're engaging in a space uh, that's very well covered, right? I mean, like the world of change management is 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 I'm, I'm not inventing that. You know, I'm that's that's a lot of people do that. So the question is, why me? Why pay attention to me? Why, why do I have something to say? And the answer is ownable IP. The answer is what is the story that you tell? What is the perspective that you tell that is distinct from what other people have? So even if ultimately, let's be honest, you're driving towards a lot of the same lessons because it's a, it's it's impossible to reinvent something like change management. The question is, what unique viewpoint do you have so that, let's say, if somebody's looking at 10 speakers about change management to bring into their executive retreat, they're not going to just pick one because they can talk about change management because everybody can talk about change management. So the question really is, what sets you apart? What is the story that you tell? What is the way in which you bring some unique vision so that people say, ah, I want somebody to tell that story to my, right? Like that big idea. So I, I worked for the better part of a year with a, with a, you know, working on a proposal to figure out exactly what that was for me. Um, and it came out of my, these insights that I had and these stories that I was telling and trying to figure out how they all kind of came together. And, um, and then once I sold the proposal, uh, to Penguin Random House, I had to figure out how do I do a giant project like this? Uh, I couldn't take months off uh, from Entrepreneur Magazine to do it. So here's how I did it. And, you know, I suggest for anybody who's looking to take on a big challenge, do the same break it up into a bazillion mini challenges instead. So what I did is Mm -hmm. I devoted the first hour of every day for nine months to writing the book. 
That's how I wrote this so thing. Smart. The first hour of every day. And you know what? I would reach a stopping point about an hour in. I'd, I'd have written a, a, a part of a chapter and I would say my brain has uh, is done, like a, a complete a thought, and it's time to move on to something else. Don't sit there all day like trying to bang something out. You will not have it. You got like a good hour in you for creation anyway. So that's what I did. And uh, that way it never felt overly or, or overly difficult to manage. Yeah. And I love, I mean, cause just so people that don't know, you have a young family, you know, you, there's yeah. a lot of adventures in, in this. I mean, I, I yeah. follow you. So you had a lot of adventures traveling, um, you know, sometimes traveling with the family, not on purpose. I, did you have a move in there too? Was there? A move? Uh, yeah. yeah that well, was... We relocated during the pandemic to pandemic. Colorado for 18 months. Yeah. Right. Right. So there was a lot of things that you were juggling, um, and to do it. And one of the, one of my favorite things that you also say is about everyone has the same amount of hours in a day. And right. if you have a week to do something, you're going to take a week to do something. If you have a day to do something, you're going to take that day to do something. And sometimes that day is all you really need. Sometimes you don't need yeah. a week. So I love that you broke it up in that because I think that also is really relatable to my listeners because of the fact sometimes things get overwhelming. You have an idea, but it's too overwhelming and breaking it up in little pieces. So can you tell us in right. other parts, because I know we have about six more minutes, some of the, uh, one of the exercises that you have in the book that really is, and I don't want to say favorite because I'm sure there's a lot of things, but one of the things that sticks out in your mind that, um, you know, the book that people can really look forward to. Oh yeah, sure. So, uh, well, so first of all, with the time thing, you know, what you're just describing there is called Parkinson's law. So Parkinson's law states that work expands to fill the time available. So if you have whatever amount of time you have to do a project, that's how long it's going to take. So there is a inverse relationship between time and effort. The less time that the less time you have available, the more effort you put in, the more time you have, the less effort you put in. So once you can really, once you start to recognize that, you can realize that you can actually maximize your time by taking on more things, um, which sounds uh, crazy, but I, but this is how I've lived. Um, right. So, well, one of my, I'll give you one of my, one of my kind of simple favorite exercises, which is uh, from the book here, which is, um, uh, which is um, these three questions that I uh, often ask um, whenever I'm going through some kind of transition and, and it helped me make my big first career change. And that was to ask uh, these three, these three questions, ready? What do I have? What do I need? What's available? It's a really nice way to break down where you are and where you want to go. Because what I, I, I used it when I was a newspaper reporter, a tiny newspaper, first, first job. And, um, I really, I wanted to work in big ways. I had all these ambitions. I didn't know how to get there. I asked myself, I mean, I didn't have these questions quite like that, but now I look back and this is what I was doing. I, you know, so what do I have, right? I have this job and it allows me to write for a newspaper, but it's a tiny newspaper. I'm not really reaching anybody. What do I need? What I need is to learn from people who are going to help me develop much faster than I'm learning right now. My colleagues are inexperienced. I'm not going to gain enough knowledge from them. Um, and, uh, and I don't have access to, uh, the you know editors of the Washington Post, the New York Times or whatever. So who's going to teach me? And then also I want to be able to prove myself at a higher level. That's what I need. What's available? That's the that's the hardest one because what we will often do is we'll think, what's available in a year? What's available in a fantasy land? What's available, um, if, you know, if only, if only, if, if, if. But that doesn't work. What we need is what's available right now. Like what liter- what can you do today? What literally are you, is available to you right now that you can grab? And uh, in my case, the answer was I realized freelancing. Um, I could stay at this job, this tiny paper, but I don't think it's going to get me anywhere. Uh, or I could quit 
And I could try to freelance because in the world of media, you can come up with an individual idea for an article and you can pitch that to an editor. And if they like it, they'll contract with you for a single article. And, uh, you know, the Washington Post wasn't going to hire me, but it turns out that after quitting my job and sitting in my bedroom for nine months, um, paying, you know, I was, I was in a dumpy apartment in central Massachusetts with three friends paying $500 a month in rent. So I, you know, there was some runway here and, um, uh, I got a piece in the Washington Post and then a second one and then a piece in the Associated Press and the Boston Globe. And this is what ultimately helped build my career. It was by focusing on what's available and then taking the answer to that seriously. I love that. That is huge. I hope you guys wrote that down. And if you didn't, and if you're driving, please don't stop or crash or try to do it. We, this yeah. will all be available. This is going to be you know, sent out. But not only that, it will be available on Fireside literally in the next 10 minutes after this is over. And then it will go out on your next stop. So we'll go out on every podcast player. Um, so uh, Chris in the audience said... Um, what did he say? He said, Jason's website is top notch. It really is. You guys can go over there and, and find some stuff. You can find the, the podcast, which again is really entertaining. I mean, I, I enjoy history. I think I even shared it with my, my teenage boys who love history and they really got into it. I mean, they're like, this love is it. really cool because you have a, a different angle. You really t like tell a different angle. You have a very great way of telling stories and it's not, um, it's more of a magazine kind of way, I guess, is if that's yeah. correct, like more of an editorial kind of way, which is, is which is cool. So and then yes. you guys can find his his book there as well and some tips right. and other things. And uh, yeah, show the and book I'll, again, build for tomorrow. I'll say also this is available. You know, it's funny. Here's, here's a fun. I will use this as a pitch to you all, but I'll also tell you why I'm doing this pitch like this. So I will tell you that it is available in all formats except for stone tablet. So uh, uh, hardcover, <laughs> uh, um, uh, ebook and audiobook. And it's very interesting. The reason um, why I stress that is because I, I was having lunch with my editor at um, Penguin Random House uh, a couple of weeks after the book launched. And he, he told me, he's like, you know, the, he's like, we think that your audience is going to be actually primarily an audiobook audience. Mm -hmm. And people don't immediately assume that just because a book is available in hardcover that it is available in audio. So you should say it. And it was re really interesting because I've, I've noticed that I've noticed that and I don't say it. Sometimes people will hear me on a podcast and they'll DM me and ask if it's available in audio, which seems so ridiculous because you could just go look it up. Like, why are you DMing me? But uh, but they do. And so I respond. But also that when I do verbalize and I say audio, I see people picking it up because then they then they tell me. So it's really interesting. Like, don't assume that people assume anything or that they know something. Be incredibly explicit. So that's why I am telling you it's available in audio as well. But also, no, and, and I love that. And it's really important because there are books out there that I know are not in audio because it does take, yeah. I mean, it, it's another effort. You have to be reading the whole book. It's another whole kind of venture. To oh, I, I was in the studio book. for three days straight. Yeah. Three days straight, right. nine to 4 p.m. Uh, yeah. Three days. Yeah. Right. And, and not a lot of people think about that. They think, oh, and so there's our authors that don't do it. Maybe they don't like the way they sound reading themselves or maybe they don't have right. anyone that will read it. So mm -hmm. it is important. that, And I love that because I have to say, so I'm dyslexic. So I do everything mm -hmm. audio, you know, but then I also oh, know yeah. my my audience is um, a lot of busy moms. And so they mm -hmm. are doing it, you know, when they're driving or or doing laundry or, you know, walking the dog or whatever it is. So it is, you know, and then there's other people that are like, nope, I need that hard copy. Um Right. You know, in, in my hand. So I love that you said that. So you guys yeah, go follow. That. Well, for busy moms uh, uh, everywhere, build for tomorrow. Audio. There it is. And and busy dads. You know, I'm not cutting and them out. Dads. There's a lot of yes. busy. A lot of busy. My, my husband listens to audio. And it's funny because yeah. I 
I think I turned him on to audio because I've always listened because of my dyslexia. I've always listened because that's how I learn. That's, you know, I, I'm, I'm smart when I listen. When I have to read something, mm -hmm. it takes me a little bit longer to kind of comprehend yeah. it. And I'm a little slower. So when I listen to it, it's like, boom, it goes right in and I comprehend it, um, which is very interesting because a lot of times people don't realize that they think dyslexia, you can't really read. You can read. It's just I'm some some struggle with that, but you it's just the way yeah. you process it. So sometimes you don't process mm -hmm. it as much and as clear as when you are are listening to it. So I love that. Jason Pfeiffer, thank you for coming to your next stop and here live on Fireside. I so appreciate you taking the time. And another thing is that's really fun is that you were all over the billboards in Times Square. Can you tell you have one minute? Can you tell us what that experience was like? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. One minute. Yes, I was on the NASDAQ billboard in Times Square. It was awesome. Uh, the here's the dirty secret for when you see photos of people who do that. You actually only get five minutes on the on the billboard, but um, but five minutes is enough for photos that everyone's going to drool over on social media. And then so most people just take a photo in front of it when they when they get that. Um, and uh, I uh, I decided I would take the photo and then I would spend the remainder of my time running around filming myself trying to get people to high five me. And it was uh, in front of the thing, and it was so funny because. Um, what I expected was either someone high-fiving or someone being super skeptical and not wanting to engage because, you know, it's New York and I get it. Uh, <laughs> what I didn't expect was option number three, which is people wanting to chat. So people would say, oh, what's the book about? Oh, who are you? Right. And I was like, I only, I don't have that much time. Like I have to keep high-fiving people. <laughs> so uh, anyway, but you can find, I made a video of it. It's on my Instagram. So uh, you can go find it. Anyway, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. Thank you. And that's at Hey Pfeiffer. I'm going to bring the music up. Thank you again, Jason. It's always a pleasure. This is the second time I got you on Fireside. I'm going to have to say, clap my hands. I know you have to run. Yeah. Everyone, thank you for joining your next stop and you get the replay of Jason Pfeiffer. Definitely go check out Build for Tomorrow, also his podcast. You will really, really enjoy it. Thank you again, Jason. Thanks. Thank you, everyone that joined. If you're here on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, or you're live here, or you're listening to the replay, go grab Build for Tomorrow. Remember, it's an audio. It's also in hard form, and you can do it at. Thanks again, Jason. Thanks. Bye, everyone.